0: There's a moment when narcissistic abuse victims discover that their partner is not who they thought they were. In this episode, Tara and I take a vulnerable look at honeymoon disasters and why narcissists wait until a commitment's been made before revealing more of their real self. And the self-help tip is about the importance of finding someone with an expertise in betrayal trauma if this has happened to you. Hey, now you don't need to wait a week for your next podcast fix. Join Breaking Free with Carrie and Tara Substack and get an extra audio podcast exclusive to paid and free subscribers. To sign up, click the link in the show notes. Thank you for joining us on Breaking Free from Narcissistic Abuse. I'm Dr. Carrie Kerr-McAvoy, a mental health specialist with over 20 years of counseling experience. And I'm Tara Blair Ball, a certified relationship coach. This is a listener-supported podcast. Please consider becoming a supporter of the show for less than a cup of coffee.
1: Carrie, I recently got a message from a follower who was talking about how their narcissist completely did a 180 on their honeymoon, became a completely different person. They didn't seem to even recognize them. And the way they described it is like that they got married to this one person and then they showed up at the honeymoon with a completely different person. I think that's an experience of a lot of us. It's definitely was an experience for me where I felt like I felt like I was aware of the person that I got married to, but it felt like I'd only seen glimpses. And then once we were officially married, once it was committed and we were in another country for the honeymoon, it's like that person that I'd only seen glimpses of was just had arrived. There mm. wasn't a person that I enjoyed spending time with. I found myself really disappointed most of my honeymoon because I really thought it meant that we'd have this good connection and be celebrating. And instead, I just felt really
0: sad and lonely. What about you, Carrie? My honeymoon was devastated me, honestly. I saw, like you said, I saw hints of it beforehand. I mean, we'd gotten married two months earlier. And you would think the shift would have happened then when he moved in with me because that's officially we started living life together. We got married. But I didn't see it because we were getting ready to make an international move and we're getting ready for the delayed honeymoon, which was this this really nice week away that really went all out. Because my first honeymoon with my late husband was just a weekend at a few like hundred miles away from home because we were so poor we couldn't do anything else. And then we ended up we went to Toronto over the holidays. So everything we wanted to see was closed on top of it. I really wanted like a a nice romantic redo of a honeymoon, and I thought, oh, second marriage, perfect. What happened for me, and I share it in the book, but it was just devastating. Is that he actually turned me down for intimacy, and then mm-hmm. I fell asleep because I was exhausted because we traveled all day. I woke up to find him watching pornography instead mm-hmm. of being intimate with me, and that just kicked off this weird week with him. The second day, he dropped me off at the hotel. And I thought things were better. I thought we had a great talk and we worked it out. He drops me off at the hotel and announces after dinner that he's going to the musical at the resort and that he'd back in a few hours and he leaves me alone. And I knew, I knew I was being punished for confronting him about the first night. The person I was with was different. I didn't know him. And, and that mm-hmm. then became the person I was living with. He became himself and I'd not met him before. I remember feeling by the end of it that I had married a stranger and I was stunned. I felt like in a state of shock. I could—I was honestly, I came home from that honeymoon broken. I was not myself and I wasn't myself for the rest of that relationship. I felt like something had died over the honeymoon. My hopes for sure had died and my dreams of what I thought we were going to have certainly died. But I was severely traumatized and betrayed by the end of that honeymoon. What shocked me was the same, honestly, Tara, is that I recently posted something about honeymoons. I just mentioned mine. I wasn't really, even that wasn't the point. But the number of people who came forward with horrible stories, honeymoon stories in particular, but I don't think it's just limited to honeymoons, but like they yelled at them the whole time. Or one story, here's one story I heard that he said he'd meet her down at the beach and then he never arrived, and she was sitting on the beach alone that morning. And she went to go look for him, and he'd gone to the buffet to eat alone. Like just weird stuff like that. Yeah. So i I think it really makes sense for us to talk about what's happening and why it's happening this way because because the comments people were making, like, "Well, you should have known." I mean, how can it suddenly happen so radically? Weren't there signs that you should have anticipated this person was was this person? Let's look into that. Why don't we see this whole other side of this person? Why is this such a startling revelation that occurs on a honeymoon or, and I think it's not just honeymoons, but other big transitions?
1: Well, for a lot of us, we're being love-bombed. At least for me, I felt like I was love-bombed off and on. There absolutely was the trauma bond cycle of the calm and then the tension and then the fight and then the makeup and then calm. (laughs) So that was absolutely already in play before I got... Before I Mm -hmm. married my narcissist, but I still feel like, especially up until the wedding, there was very heavy love bombing at different times. And even with the stress of planning the wedding and things like that, there'd be this this talk of, "Oh, once we get married, it's going to be so nice," and thinking of a future together and talking about that. And then once I was like trapped, it's really how it was. Like once we were officially married and I was trapped, it's like there didn't have to be any show anymore. I could be treated the way back to we talked about the iPhone being treated like the iPhone of just like, okay, I finally got it and it's mine and I'm going to treat it however I want to treat it. I too, I could really relate when you were talking about earlier coming back from the honeymoon broken. I came back from the honeymoon just really disappointed and depressed and feeling like, is this going to be my whole relationship now? I too had a fight with my ex. I'm had multiple days eating alone at breakfast because he wasn't gonna spend time with me. I was just stonewalling. That's a really sad. It's not how we're supposed to feel on a honeymoon. I remember continually saying that to myself. This is not how I'm supposed to be feeling. Why, why is this happening? And I felt so much to blame for a lot of that. It's like I must have done something wrong. I must have said something wrong. I internalized it. It's all my fault. And so I came back from the honeymoon really depressed, really disappointed but also really ashamed, embarrassed. People would ask me, oh, did you have a great honeymoon? You know, we went to Greece, which is a beautiful place. Did you have a great honeymoon? All these people ask me questions and I'm like faking. I'm like, oh, it was wonderful, you know? And it just was really sad. And I remember coming back from that honeymoon being like, I need to fix this. This,
0: mm. is, this is
1: not right. I need to fix this. I, I literally came back from that honeymoon and immediately started going to individual therapy again because for some reason it was my fault.
0: And wow,
1: that devaluing phase of being criticized, nitpicked, you know, nothing I could ever do was right, really impacted that because it just reinforced that there's something wrong with me. I need to fix me. I'm the problem. Had he stonewalled
0: you before that? hmm.
1: Not to the same extent, because we had. Lives, you know, that if he was stonewalling me, I could just go hang out with my friends or go to a meeting or go do something. But we were literally in another country where we didn't know the language. And I didn't feel comfortable walking down the street by myself or going anywhere outside of the hotel by myself. And so his stonewalling was just so much more punishing because I Mm -hmm. felt completely alone. I couldn't really call my friends or family back at home, I could send him an email you know, on the right hotel's Wi-Fi, but that that was it. I just felt so alone and trapped. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Go to GetTheTea.com. They're my new sponsor. You are worth it. Their life-change tea helps with gently cleansing your body every day. They have four kinds of tea, natural, peppermint, pomegranate, and placenta. They also carry unique supplements that you won't find on a shelf at the store. Their newest supplement is Calm Tummy. They have pure cordyceps, cardiovascular support, healthy blood sugar support, as well as sea vegetables. Each one of their supplements is carefully designed to help you regulate your health. Go to GetTheTea.com today and see what you can find to better your life. That's GetTheTea.com. Enter code BREAKFREE for an extra 10% off your order. Don't take your health for granted. That's GetTheTea.com. Code BREAKFREE. now looking back when he dropped me off that was actually it was more than stonewalling I, I I knew immediately what it was I thought to myself he's punishing me he's he's mad because I confronted him about watching pornography for those of you who don't know my story the first date I met him I had asked him my deal breaker was pornography I i had had a traumatic experience with it as a psychologist, I'm not a big fan. I think it can be detrimental to relationships. I, I just, I I didn't want to be in a relationship with somebody who is constantly at somebody else and fantasizing about them. I just didn't want that in my relationship. He had lied to me in that first date. Now, as we were dating, I kind of had a, sus- I wondered because some of the image he'd sent me was like, where have you been to be, get at this image? It's like a little on the edge. That's what I thought. I felt like a little on the edge, but I thought, well... Maybe I'm just being sensitive. Maybe men have a different taste to what's okay. You know, in other words, I excused it. But to wake up from falling asleep, from taking a nap next to him and find him like heavily engaged in in and it was skill. He had a lot of skill. Then I realized this person had massively lied to me about it and that he would opt out of being intimate for that. And the intimacy during that honeymoon was shit. I mean, it was, it was not a honeymoon. But when I, when he dropped me off, I realized it, he punished me. And then here's the wild thing he was playing it so sophisticated that when he came back from that, he wasn't in a sour mood. He then said, you know what? You're right. We shouldn't really be texting other people and doing this. That wasn't cool. I'm so sorry. Let's go out to the pool and have a great evening. He was whipping me already that whiplash that happens where they go hot and cold, hot and cold so that you end up thinking, it gives you hope. I thought, see, he's fixing it. We're going to be okay. And then he whipped me again. So it was this already that back and forth was going on, which is what they do to set the trauma bond up. My honeymoon ended with another woman getting a hold of me and saying, oh yeah, and by the way, he's been cheating. He's been cheating at least for three months. So the whole thing was just devastating. And you're right. That coming home was so horrible because My son was living with me, and I remember looking at his door and his lights on and thought, Do I go tell him? Do I get help here? Or do I finish ruining this relationship because I'm going to then pit my kids against my new partner? I will need to then have it be over. What do I do? I don't know. We're mid move to international move. I literally felt so trapped. And I think that's the key here. I think that, that. People who get into these relationships who are being deceptive, and that's how deep the deception runs. I know people don't believe it. It's like, no, you have to have had known. No, seriously, I didn't know. I had no idea he was seeing other people. No idea he was a serial cheater. I didn't know that he was highly abusive. Yeah, he was a little mildly critical, but I never saw... I still think fondly back to the guy I met dating, and like, I like him. But that's not who I ended up marrying. I didn't marry that person. I married somebody else. When people have a need to get you into a relationship for whatever power, because they feel like they can't be authentically themselves or you'd never choose them because they're angry that you have something they don't have, whatever the reason is they get into the relationships to play this game with you, it flips. The mask comes off once they think they've got you. And for in my case, it was the honeymoon. It wasn't the marriage. It was the honeymoon when we were moving. But I think it can be something different for different people. My ex and I really struggled to get pregnant. We tried really
1: hard to get pregnant and couldn't, and we could not until we did IVF. I remember thinking after we finally did get pregnant with our twins that things would be better now, you know, and I remember while I was pregnant and shortly after they were born, I I really thought things would be better. And I know at the time that there was some love bombing, some glimpses of him being sweet or things like that. But then, like, I remember I was on bed rest for months because it was twins. It's a Mm high-risk pregnancy. And he would get mad at me and, like, yell at me if I wasn't taking care of something because I'd had to be on bed rest. Or I was wanting him to spend some time with me. And he was like, well, I've got to go work because you can't. And... You know, it just was this, it just was this situation where we just feel so stuck and alone and like it's our fault. It's something that we did. And always thinking, oh, if we can do X or if X will happen, then it'll get better. And yeah. that, that for me kept me stuck the most is because I kept thinking, oh, that person. That person I would see glimpses of now, who I saw more readily and steadily before the relationship became serious or before we had kids or whatever, I thought that person would come back. And I just didn't have enough awareness or knowledge to know that that person never really existed. And that person was never going to come back with any continuance or steadiness because that person didn't exist. And I think that's the hard part for a lot of us is realizing that, like, the good father or the good husband that I thought wasn't wasn't real
0: so if you were to go back and talk to you if you could have met you then and be like a big sister or mentor what would you have said to her i wish i knew honestly
1: i i know that there were there were people in my life who would who would who were in that role for me who were very much highlighting mirroring explaining like this is what's happening does that feel okay? Do you really want to do that? I just was, I just was really stubborn. I know that if I had not gotten pregnant, I would have left. Yeah. Once I got pregnant, I very much felt like I needed to stay. And it wasn't until my twins were almost a year before I found drugs and everything else that happened after that. But before that, I know a lot of people were like, is this really what you want? Is this really the kind of relationship you want? How do you feel about that?
0: So, you were getting advice that suggested that maybe you need to rethink things. And you weren't. Why do you think you weren't For able years. to take it? You, you Wow. Well, what, what mm-hmm. do you think? No, I know you said I'm stubborn, but do you think there were other reasons why you were having a hard time hearing it? For one, I'd come into that relationship with
1: a lot of unhealed trauma from my childhood, where I, too, always felt like the problem, always felt like it was my fault. I just needed to fix me. And that was reinforced times a million, it seemed like, in that relationship where I was a problem. It was my fault. I shouldn't have said this. I shouldn't have done this. I should have communicated it differently. And it didn't matter how many times people said, like, you don't deserve to be treated that way. I immediately would say in my head, well, I wouldn't have been treated that way if I had just learned to do X different. Mm. And mm. so it didn't matter what other people were saying, because I felt to my core there was something wrong with me. I was broken. I was unworthy. I needed to be fixed. And if mm-hmm. I was fixed, then I would get kinder, more respectful treatment. And also coming back to that codependency of I need to earn love. I don't deserve it unconditionally, that kind yeah. of thing. And yeah. Were you in therapy and, at the time? It was so much. Okay. But it wasn't trauma-informed.
0: Oh, you know, okay. that's really the I keep thinking what could be the takeaway here for people listening to your story? I mean, if they identify with you, because I was very, in a very different spot. But if they identify with you, what would have? I mean, you were in therapy. I know you were in the recovery program, so you were getting support mm-hmm. that way. People were actually lovingly saying to you, I'm concerned about you. This doesn't feel right. We're worried about this. And yet, we- yet you were still persistent and wanted to hold on to this relationship. So what could have broken through? Maybe, maybe nothing. Maybe, maybe that's a lesson is it for some of us, we just have to have it happen till we accept the fact this isn't a real person that we're in a relationship with or we've married somebody different or we're in a relationship with somebody different.
1: And I think, too, it would have absolutely been helpful if I'd had a trauma-informed therapist. I didn't at the time.
0: And so mm-hmm. I,
1: this person wasn't able to really make me aware of what was going on necessarily, yeah. like the cognitive dissonance and the trauma bond. That my level of cognitive dissonance and the excusing and the denying and the minimizing and invalidating and the people who loved me didn't know they knew it wasn't right, but they didn't know what was happening. They didn't understand it. They're like, why don't you just leave that? Right. Right. You know, that's and that's doesn't sound good, you know. And because of my lack of knowledge about what was actually happening, really, I felt like kept me stuck, too, because I didn't know what was happening. So I just constantly made it my own fault. For me, I, I
0: isolated myself. I was looking for help. I mean, that's the first thing I did. We got home and I started looking for sex addiction treatment centers thinking, oh, he has a sexual addiction because that's what he says he's got. And he's told me enough that sounds like it. I knew I was married to someone who had narcissistic tendencies, but i had never heard of narcissistic abuse. So I had no idea about a trauma bond, no idea about any of these dynamics at all. I think if I had known, it would really have propelled me in a different direction. So I got help, but I got help in a direction that was more like you, recovery based, that, that also was a uh, very pro relationship. So they were like, well, you're part of this. How can you not enable it? What can you do to stand on your own two feet in the middle of it, all of this? But what I needed more was to someone to slow down and said, how are you doing? This is going to have really shaken you terribly. Are you okay? Because I'll tell you, I was not okay. I was so not okay i've been severely traumatized before this it was at the same level seriously mm-hmm. to me it was the same as being a sexual abuse survivor as a really young child this was the same and i was in terror i felt i felt froze i felt dead i was i was dissociating constantly i felt like i had become a paper doll that somebody was dressing and moving about i, I was gone mm-hmm. i I ha- I even struggle to remember the first few months I was so not present. Nobody knew that I, I mean, here I'm seeing all these professionals and not one of them stopped and said, I'm scared for you. You don't look okay. Are you doing okay? I think you're in trouble. And I think that would have helped me, snap me out of this and got me better help and moved me in a different direction. I even wonder if I would have stayed. I don't know if I would have, if I had the right kind of support, because unlike you, I was older. I was in my late 50s, already had a successful relationship before. I wasn't looking to this person to provide for me. I didn't have children with them. If somebody had helped me see the door, I think I would have been able to take it if I had the right kind of support, which really breaks my heart. Yeah. So what do you think we can say to people to help them to be able to get support or get what they need? I want to point something out first, though,
1: because I okay. was thinking about the the whiplash. We've talked yeah. before that narcissistic abuse survivors experience PTSD at a higher levels than other abuse survivors, and I think it's that is like literally you cannot predict it. It comes out of nowhere, like a car slamming into the back of you. Yeah, and then you're just trapped. That trauma is just stuck. Like yeah. your neck bends, you get whiplash, and the healing after that. That yes, it's shock. That level of Unawareness. So I would think for our listeners, if that has happened to you, if you've had a whiplash kind of moment in a relationship, that that's really a time to stop. I think too many of us, at least for me, I got busy. And it sounds like you got busy, too. I start trying to fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. And I'm looking to everybody outside of myself. I'm looking at him. I'm trying to be hyper vigilant and hyper aware, try to stop the bad person or whatever that I'm with to come out. And none of it am I focusing on me, how I'm feeling. Do I need to observe what's going on and really think about and process it? I didn't even take any time to process it. I just immediately went into calling therapists, going into therapist's office, where I may have been receiving advice or counsel that wasn't in my best interest, because it sounds like you weren't either. Not to say that counseling can be like that, but if we are going to a certain kind of counselor, it's... The advice we get is going to be kind of different. And if we're not totally aware of what's happening to us specifically, I didn't I wasn't aware that I was in a trauma bond. And so no. I wasn't going to a trauma informed specialist. Right. And so I was getting advice about improving my marriage or improving my communication when how do you communicate with someone who doesn't care to communicate with you? Who
0: exactly. doesn't want power
1: and control over you and sees you as an iPhone? None of that advice was helpful. I would suggest as if you've had a whiplash yeah. moment is to take a pause and journal. We've talked a lot about writing things out as a scene, maybe journaling, calling someone who can just be objective and just listen and just share what you've experienced in a way to
0: start to try to wrap your head around it. That would be my self-help tip. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I totally agree. I think that what we forget is that we're also a victim, that we're mm-hmm. it's just not the partner that we need to manage. We need to also then care for ourselves, that we get so focused on the relationship and see that as maybe something we're trying to say or think that we get so focused on the partner thinking somehow if we can make a more corrective emotional experience for this person, they're going to be more present for us and then it would stop that we see that as self-care and we forget that no self-care starts with the self. So I think that if anybody has gone through this or is going through this right now to realize you're probably highly traumatized, you've suffered a massive betrayal and you need to find somebody who is, I definitely agree with you. Find somebody who, who is an expert with this type of trauma. And, uh, I know that there, there are people who are in that realm when it comes to sexual addiction. I know there's now people who see that as a massive form of betrayal and that the victims are suffering betrayal trauma to find someone in that arena who understands it from that perspective. Or if you're, it's more narcissistically abused than to find someone who has an expertise in that, either a coach or a clinician. And what's exciting is that there is new programming that's happening right now that people are starting to undergo to become narcissistically abuse certified so that you'll be able to ask you have a certification. I think there might even be a directory. I'm going through it, so I will be certified when it's finished. But I think in the future, we can ask someone to know that they really do have the expertise because the wrong therapy to me is maybe even worse than no therapy, honestly. Because you can be gaslit and harmed and blamed for this person's toxicity when really you're just reacting to something you didn't even know existed. So I think it really Mm -hmm. is important to know who you're seeing and know their expertise.
1: Thank you for joining us today. Have a question or comment? Email us at hello at breaking free with and If this episode has been helpful, consider becoming a supporter. And if you haven't yet, make sure to follow us at breaking free from narc abuse on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. We'll see you back here next time.